G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. When things go bad, as they have been on a global scale, with the COVID-19 health and economic crisis, it's only natural, isn't it, that Christian believers ask questions about whether these are times prophesied in the Bible. It's become the most dramatic and defining situation in our lifetime, more radical even than a war or the global financial crisis. And as you'll know, more than 400,000 people have died from coronavirus around the world, and every nation is reeling under the effects of an economic meltdown. And that's been exacerb- that's exacerbated the, uh, the issues, magnified the unrest around the world, like the Black Lives Matter movement or even the posturing of China, or developments around peace issues around Israel and the Middle East. So let's give some attention to what wisdom we can glean from the Bible today and insights into the global shockwave of COVID-19 with Dr. Camille Majdali. Dr. Camille Majdali leads Teach All Nations. He's a Bible teacher and a futurist. He follows global trends and helps believers come to an understanding of what it takes to be future ready. And he's been talking about that for many years now and joining us on the line from the UK. Camille Majdali, welcome back to 2020. Yes, good morning, Neil, and God bless Australia. Yes, well, I'm glad you said it's good morning. Uh, For us here, it is uh, what we'd call a godly hour, and for you, it's still a godly hour, but it's a lot earlier. 1.30 in the morning there in the UK. Thank you so much for staying up late. My pleasure. Hey, let's talk COVID-19. In Australia, we seem to have dodged a bullet health-wise. We haven't seen the losses, as you would have been reading in your local media there uh, in England. Uh, Give us a little insight into how things are faring for the UK right now as we get this conversation underway, uh, Camille. I'm still trying to process that answer myself. I want to say it's been 11 weeks since Boris Johnson put a stay-at-home edict. It's not lockdown. Lockdown, you can't even leave the house. Here you can leave the house, but limited purposes, once a day for exercise or the doctor or the grocery store or what have you. He loosened it a bit so you can go out more than once a day. You can drive to work. Uh, so for us, it's been all right because we have home office anyway and we use Zoom and we, we've, we've been just fine. But the UK has had the second highest death rate in absolute numbers, only second to the United States globally. And I suspect part of the reason is, of course, we have Heathrow Airport, millions of people were coming through Heathrow. There was even a point where they were come landing in Heathrow and coming <laughs> into the country, not even being screened for temperature or anything. So they may have fixed that up, but it's been, for me, this is unusual, not traveling much. It's been three months that I have <laughs> been, been in England. So it's, look, from where I am uh, in North Oxfordshire, it's been, uh, it's been mild. I think I've only met 
two people that have had it. But in other parts, uh, it's been more so. Part of the thing is, I think the British people are very resilient. That's why there's so many elderly, and elderly tend to, in a situation like this, be more vulnerable. So, yeah, second biggest death rate in the world, but uh, it soldiers on as the Brits always have. Let's talk about faith in the mix here, Camille. Uh, Non-believers can be paralyzed by fear in a different way. Uh, Christians can have a tendency to have a different outlook. It doesn't mean that we might not be in some ways fearful here. Uh, What are your thoughts for what difference it makes for the believer when you're in the midst of where you are there, and there is a more bigger crisis uh, in the UK than in Australia health-wise. What are your thoughts here around fear and uh, that sort of paralysis that can happen for some people? Well, this is, of course, what the Christian faith is so good at, and that is conquering fear. As it says in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. And the reason we've come to faith is because God first loved us and sent his only begotten son. Faith makes the world of difference in all this. But mind you, even as believers, we have to exercise our faith. We have to build up our faith. We have to feed our faith with the word of God and quality music and Christian fellowship, and there's all these things. But yes, faith was made for such times as this. Well, in a time like this, there's a sense, isn't there, uh, that we are more uh, astute in our thoughts about things that are important, uh, even eternal issues, because when things are going well, we tend not to think that we need God. But when a crisis comes, whether it's the health crisis or now the effects that are coming from the economic crisis, and there's lots of effects there, uh, we can actually be even thankful for the idea that uh, that people are giving more attention to things that are of uh, eternal value. Well, the, uh, the, that's what a crisis can do. It helps you to prioritize, sort out your uh, inbox, so to speak, and put first things first. It is very much of the utmost importance. Now, just before you called, Neil, <laughs> I got this proverb here, Proverbs eleven twenty-eight, and I think it's really important. It says, he who trusts in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Incredibly important. Now, how do you become righteous? It's not by religious do's and don'ts. You become righteous by your faith. You believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is downloaded into you, and you're going to flourish. But if all you're doing is trusting in natural resources, uh, you're in trouble. So we need a new and spiritual perspective, and of course, that's what the gospel does. Let's bring into our conversation here this idea of Bible prophecy too, because whether this is the actual end time or not, Uh, There are things that match some of the images that we might see in biblical prophecy and uh, we approach the world differently when there's a crisis. Now this comes back to this faith and perhaps it is that in a flourish, uh, that in a, uh, a time of crisis, those who have faith really look to flourish more than those who do not. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on biblical prophecy here. Before we get into some sort of, uh, you know, some really nitty-gritty type of Bible teaching on prophecy, the effect of prophecy on the believer. Uh, What are your thoughts here about flourishing and and those who might not? 
Well, first of all, uh, this is, of course, a topic I deal with all the time. It was thrust on me years ago in the Bible College, and I've been doing it ever since, and that's end-time prophecy. Uh, First of all, Proverbs 4.18, very important verse, says that the path of the just, and the just shall live by faith, is as a shining light that shines more and more to the perfect day. In some ways, last days is the hour for the church to shine. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be any challenges. There will. But we definitely will not be in darkness because we're following Christ, the light of the world. Second thing, as I often teach, is we're in a period of shaking. And the shaking is prophesied in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, and it's amplified in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. But the whole point is prior to the kingdom of God coming, there will be a shaking of the natural order and of the kingdoms of this world. I mean, we've been seeing shaking, not just in the last while, but probably well over the last century, with world wars and pandemics, uh, which the Spanish flu, by the way, 100 years ago, was far more devastating than this. And I, by the grace of God, it will continue to be in that category more devastating than the coronavirus. But we've been having shakings for a while. Now, that's why, as believers, we need to build our lives on the rock. That means we need to get serious about our faith, build up our faith, make it a top priority, and be in the will of God for our lives. Because if we're not, we will be also vulnerable to the shaking. Camille, I mentioned in the introduction that with the COVID-19 crisis, the health crisis, the economic crisis, a lot of the other crises that we are seeing around the world now uh, even do tend to be either exacerbated or connected in some ways. I I think probably the most obvious one to talk about might be what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement around the world. And it's not just America. It's overflowed to our shores here in Australia. I know that in the UK there's been all sorts of protests, even violent protests there too. Is there, and how might we connect uh, this idea of the exacerbated issues around race, Black Lives Matter, with what's happened with the COVID economic crisis? Well, it's uh, another element in the mix here of of the shaking. And Martin Isles of ACL, Australian Christian Lobby, he has a lot of information on this BLM, as it's called, Black Lives Matter. And it's more than just a civil rights kind of thing. It's a holistic movement that has positions on all kinds of things. It's apparently very far left, and uh, they're enjoying the coverage. They have a lot of, or they have some key international supporters, financially and otherwise, so money is no issue whatsoever. And this tragic death of George Floyd, which, by the way, united all Americans, they all were repulsed by what happened, and also united all Americans that, yes, it is constitutional to have peaceful protests. Of course, what is not constitutional is to riot and to loot. But, uh, yeah, there is a shaking going on in the U.S., but part of the reason there's a shaking is because in November, on the 3rd, there'll be a presidential election. And the amount of activity going on in regard to this election, beyond just campaigning, beyond just politicians, is enormous. So, again, if you're a believer, you should be hearing and doing the words of Jesus and living your life on the rock 
so that you can provide a refuge for the many very, very anxious and worried people out there, worried for their futures, worried for their children, worried for their finances, and and the and the like. So yeah, there is a big shaking going on in the U.S. But at this point, I'm pretty sanguine that America will pull through. However, it'll pull through because of prayer more than anything else. Let's touch on that then for a moment because uh, the power of prayer, and uh, for some they just think that's just a little add-on extra to uh, the Christian walk, uh, something we do at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or when someone's sick, but there is a certain sense in which prayer can be a deeper issue and the thing that can stabilize an understanding of what God is doing. What are your thoughts here when you say that prayer is important and will perhaps be the thing that gets America through? And let's bring Australia into that as well, because we may well be relying on those intercessors to be on their knees too for the challenges that are confronting Australia. What are your thoughts here for for those who are thinking about prayer and the, the way that it can have an impact on the future of a nation like the U.S.? Well, first of all, prayer is paramount. It's not just some nice little religious exercise we do to feel good about ourselves or to earn brownie points with God. It is amazingly essential. World history has been influenced by prayer. Key events, even in our lifetime, Neil, have been influenced by prayer big events, big outcomes, with miraculous shock, but uh, positive results came because of prayer. It might feel daunting when you see all these calamities roundabout and all the shaking and wondering, what can I do? And I'm not some wealthy you know, billionaire globalist that can pull the strings or anything. I'm telling you, we are far more empowered than any billionaire globalist, than any marching army than any economic force. We are very empowered by Christ. And just some of the key events in the last while that have been greatly influenced by prayer, for example, the British election in December 2019, that was a very harrowing prospect, what they were facing in Britain, with far-left parties taking over and another Scottish independence referendum and, you know, socializing so much of the country. It was coming down to that. But there was so much prayer that there was an upset election for Boris Johnson. Now, not that God endorses candidates per se, but God will endorse prayer. And prayer made a difference with that, with the Brexit, for example, and so many other things. So we need to see that we are not helpless little pawns. We are actually God's empowered people. We are his church. And and there's no power greater, Neil, than the power of the Holy Spirit and of Christians praying in the Holy Spirit. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, you might have your own thoughts. You might have a question for our special guest, Dr. Camille Majdali, who leads Teach All Nations, Bible teacher, futurist. You might have seen Camille speak at his Understanding the Times tours here in Australia over the past few years. TAN.org.au is his website. And uh, Camille, as we talk about these sorts of things, uh, really we're talking global issues if we're talking about 
things that are events connected with biblical prophecy, the idea of end times, but even then the trends that are developing around the world, ideological challenges, the culture wars, those sorts of things. And perhaps we're seeing that most in what's happening in the unrest in America. So let's uh, settle into a little bit of conversation around what's happening in America. Donald Trump, even though he was not in Minnesota when the issue uh, eventuated with George Floyd, uh, he does seem to now be the target of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, That wouldn't be unusual in an election year, but what are your thoughts here? Well, look, I've never seen anything like what's been going on in America for the last while. But to me, it shouldn't actually be surprising in that, first of all, there is a half-century-old culture war, a topic I have constantly been referring to in the Understanding the Times tour over the last few years. And now we're seeing it sort of bubble over into a very hot, seething cauldron. I mean, before it was just words. Now it's words with very violent action. But it's not surprising. It shouldn't be if you've been following what's been going on for the last while. Just look, the amount of hatred that's coming forth, particularly from one side, is just enormous. I mean, I'm surprised others haven't commented on it. And and hatred will lead to violence, will lead to murder, will lead to all kinds of unsavory outcomes. So part of this is the culture war. In fact, a lot of it is. But... What I've seen in America, which is unbelievable, is here we had an election in 2016, and so it was an upset election, meaning that the results were totally unexpected, especially when the polls up to election day were going the other way. And the 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 losing side, they just can't sleep at night they, until they get this guy out of office. They don't even want to wait for an election. They were trying everything from Stormy Daniels to Russian collusion to impeachment. And even even what's going on now, they're hoping uh, – the, I'm talking about the far left, okay, not the average workaday socialist or, <laughs> uh, or progressive – uh, they they're hoping to have a what do you call it a, a coup d'état a an overthrow at, well before the election and so yeah it's it's pretty pretty uh, heady over there in the United States and I, let's face it between the American unrest and the unemployment figures and the COVID nineteen I don't think we've had a more eventful year in our lifetimes Neil than here in 2020, to go along with your program, 2020. Yes. Camille, interested in this idea that people might be driven by hatred. Uh, Now, that's a, it's a significant term, isn't it? Hatred. And it does appear to be a contrast to the way that, particularly in a Western nation, where you've had foundations that have come from that Judeo-Christian base, uh, which uh, would honour those even if they are your enemies. You're not necessarily uh, trying to kill them. Uh, this idea of hatred, this seems to be on the rise, and I wonder whether there's any thought here as to uh, of how that might be in some sort of end-time scenario as well. What are your thoughts here for the, for the rise of hatred? Well, remember what Jesus said, that there will be a time in the end where even children and parents will hate each other and will betray each other and give each other over to death. I mean, that sounds like 
science fiction. It doesn't sound... What, who could imagine this kind of thing? However, when you look at issues like abortion and euthanasia, one dealing with the very young, in other words, the children, one dealing with uh, the, <laughs> the mature or, or the aged, uh, then the, understand that this kind of thing is actually plausible in our crazy, mixed-up, fallen world. Now, of course, people say, well, doesn't God do anything about it? And, and my answer is always the same. God has done something about it. He sent his son, and we are waiting for the culmination of ages. Well, why doesn't he do something now about evil? And then I'm reminded of the parable of the wheat and the tares. The reason God doesn't come through right now with a thunderbolt is for our sake, so we can grow and fulfill our call and do what he's called us to do. If, if he did something prematurely, we get shall we say, washed away with everybody else who has not been doing the right things. Therefore, I think that, yes, the hatred, of course, let's understand where it comes from. It comes from the devil. And when you hate and despise and want to destroy somebody, that is, well, what does it say in John 10.10? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Please understand, Neil, and listeners, ultimately this is a spiritual thing, and only prayer and fasting can deal the death blow to the forces that are arrayed against nations. Camille, let me add to that, prayer, fasting, and action. And I've noted in a number of conversations over previous weeks or months Uh, where we've talked about prayer on this program, oftentimes we feel as though there is a neglect for this idea that prayer is one element and action follows prayer. And whether that action is in the inspiration that moves your heart towards reaching out to others, sharing your testimony, being a witness uh, in, in issues of evangelism, or whether it even goes to uh, you know involvement in communities, whether that is uh, right up to the levels of political action. Uh, what are your thoughts here about action connected with prayer and with fasting? Well, I remember the phrase from Young E. Cho, pastor of the world's largest church, of course he's retired, But a three-word maxim, which is amazing, pray and obey. And it really sums it up very well. We should be people of prayer. You will be spiritually impotent and a pushover if you don't have a prayer life. That's of the utmost importance. But then there comes the second part. We have to obey. We have to obey what God is telling us to do. Now, there's people who are active or even activist, but the activism may or may not be God's will. However, when you are clear on God's will and you have prayed ahead of time, then you're going to be incredibly potent for the kingdom of God. So the the action or the obedience that you have to do is whatever God has you to do. It could be personal evangelism. It could be just normal ministry to the saints. It could be involved in the political sphere. I'm all for Christians being in the politics and doing whatever. As a pastor, I have to be politically neutral, at least publicly, because, well, you know, in a congregation, you have all kinds of people from all kinds of political persuasions. You're there to bring them together, not drive them apart. That's even the queen herself, very well informed, 
But remember, she's politically neutral. She stays above the fray. And I think for ministry, we need to do that too. However, this caveat, in ministry, we can very much preach on values and morality. That's not playing politics. That's being faithful to the biblical mandate. Yes. Camille, just a couple of minutes out from the news, uh, let me just ask you here, uh, we're so used to having you do a Understanding the Times tour each year, usually August, September, and uh, you go to not only the big cities, but also outback communities uh, where you've taken the opportunity over these years where people have invited you uh, to go and to bring some world-class level teaching uh, to various communities here in Australia. I know that that'll be all up in the air, but are you holding a glimmer of hope that uh, you might be able to get down under and uh, and to be able to, to do an Understanding the Times tour this year? Well, what we're doing, and I've already been in discussion with the, the heads at Vision, is we will have to do it online for the season that it's projected, and that's August-September. We're looking at provisionally an in-person tour early next year, or first part of next year, and we are in the process of contacting our what you call confirmed hosts on that purpose. So, yes come September, and it'll be in the word for today, we will have an online presentation on the topic. It was Israel, Iran, the Bible, and you. That's what we were going to discuss. Well, we'll have that online. But in person, God willing, April and May 2021. Hey, Camille, let's come back to what we were talking about with the Black Lives Matter movement and the connection to the idea of an overthrow of Donald Trump. And not everyone listening to our conversation today will be a Donald Trump fan. Uh, Some will and some won't. But there is a sense here in which this hatred that we were talking about and this rise in violence is now targeting Donald Trump in election year. Uh, What are your thoughts around Trump and his personality and the influence that he has in the United States and where this hatred is now targeted? Donald Trump is uh, a most unique figure, and his rising up, shall we say, or his election as president of the U.S. is just—it's just staggering. He is, uh, in fact, I've been dealing with Donald Trump now, not personally, of course, but <laughs> uh, as an object of study and uh, the like for the last four years. In fact, it was the Understanding the Times tour of 2016 where I first had to deal with Trump simply because when it was question time in, in the meeting, people were asking me about Trump and not even necessarily about the topic I had just given them because he was, he was the talk of the town. And his election was amazing. Remember, this is the non-politician. This is the populist. This is someone from New York who normally would be entertaining left-wing values because that's New York, and especially New York City. And yet he turned around and has been a champion of conservative issues like I haven't seen ever in a U.S. president. The closest thing would be Ronald Reagan. So it's 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 all these improbabilities coming together, and even though it was there was a time the media really liked Donald Trump. That's when he was the uh, billionaire reality TV host. But as somebody who has been vocal about Judeo-Christian values, as Donald Trump has been, 
even the visit to the St. John's Church at Lafayette Park and holding up the Bible, I don't believe that was just him trying to do a publicity stunt. He actually believes in the Bible and Judeo-Christian ethics as the foundations of the United States, which indeed is, is the correct stance. It has been. And it has helped America to no end. And it's helped, of course, the world and Australia, which does still have a Judeo-Christian underpinning. Okay. Remember, with that, Neil, yep. comes family, comes small business, comes self-reliance and responsibility, personal responsibility and all that. Okay, taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Mike in Tasmania. Hi, Mike. Welcome along. Thanks so much. Uh, regarding President Trump, well, on Good Friday, on from the Oval Office, he um, had he read from the scriptures in Isaiah, and he said, "Our Lord Jesus Christ." Yeah, so he is standing, whether he's born again or not, he's standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and he's also pro-Israel, and it says, "Those who honour me, I will honour." And uh, he's really out there, and I'm grateful. Good thoughts there, Mike. Uh, in fact, a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, spiritual Christian connection to Donald Trump, unless you're looking for it as a Christian and uh, searching through those sorts of files you might find on YouTube, you won't see those in the left-wing media. But there's an awful lot of reference of uh, Donald Trump being prayed for by Christian leaders or visiting a church or reading out from the scriptures. These sorts of things are very much a part of his narrative. What are your thoughts for Mike here? Well, thank you, Mike, for that contribution, and God bless Tasmania. I would say that uh, this is something we should all recognize, is this man, who was probably not very Christian in his pre-presidential life, has surrounded himself with Christian leaders in a way no president has done. I mean, there have been you know, visits by Billy Graham, pastor of the U.S. presidents in times gone by, but what we're seeing here is, is amazing. It's Apparently, from what I could tell, we we don't know for sure if he's yet born again. But Donald Trump is makes no secret that he is receiving the support of Christian leaders, and he has actually done his level best to deliver the promises he said he would make. He is standing for the unborn. He's standing for uh, the Middle East and Israel and you know, justice for everyone. He's standing for the persecuted church. He's actually advocating and even giving money to help persecuted believers. When is the last time we've seen this kind of activity uh, going on? His pro-life stance is second to none. I think only Ronald Reagan comes closest to him, followed by George H.W. Bush. So he is really trying to fulfill his promises to evangelical Christians and the prayer meetings in the White House, you should see them. They're, as, they're like revival meetings. So I, I did catch a glimpse of one, and I was most impressed. So, look, that's a side you don't hear a lot about from the media, but that's part of the reason there's such great hatred, because it's not just against him. Some people think he's the, he's the lightning rod, perhaps, but he's representing, of course, tens of millions of Americans who want to retain... Judeo-Christianity is the foundation of the nation. 
Okay, Mike from Tasmania, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking with Dr. Camille Majdali. Interesting, as we talk about Donald Trump and uh, in the conversation before ours started, we were talking about Donald Trump holding the Bible aloft uh, in the St. John's Church and the criticisms that have come even from churchmen uh, that he was politicizing Christianity. And uh, interesting, as you mention here, Camille, that Trump has a constituency and he has harnessed Uh, the evangelical movement in America to be on side. And whether that is a a a politically expedient thing that he's just uh, touched on, thought, oh, there's no one looking after the evangelicals, we better just do something that uh, appeases those and bring them on side, or whether there's something deeper in his own faith. But I would suspect that his own uh, faith or connection to faith would have deepened, certainly since he's taken over as president, because he's seen such a anger and even a hatred towards those foundations in the United States. What are your thoughts here? Well, about the, the statistics were that about 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Now, obviously not all of them did, and those that did not are uh, perhaps what we call in the never-Trumper category. And uh, it is amazing that even though he has done things that would be pleasing and, and wonderful for evangelical believers, uh, those that reject him as Christians are very strong, but usually it's on the issue of style, or they're very upset over his tweets, or his rhetoric in office, or something of that sort. His temperament is obviously not the norm. He is combative. He will fight back. Uh, Not always, but most of the time. And some people find him unrefined and all this kind of that. But, you know, we have to go beyond style. We need some substance. And what he's fighting for is basically he's America's first wartime president in the culture war. (laughs) That's before we've had civil unrest in the U.S. We've never had anyone fighting back against identity politics and political correctness and all the other things that are actually stifling the, shall we say, growth of the church and of the foundations of the nation. So he, he's doing it. He's the one-man army. He's like a modern-day Samson against the Philistines in that sense. So, look, not everybody's for him, but the vast majority of Christians apparently are, or have been. How it stands in the next few months remains to be seen, because, of course, uh, it's, there's a war going on. There's literally a war going on. And it, it is a cause for prayer. Thank God Australia is much more stable, both in terms of its political domestic scene and as well as its results with COVID-19. Australia has done very well on that. But, uh, yeah, we need to be praying for Scott Morrison and for the state premiers as well so that we will see uh, the glory of God, that we can ride through this crisis and come out better because of it. Let's take another call. Jenny is on the line in New South Wales. Hi, Jenny. Welcome. Yes, um, very excited at the things that Camille's saying today, and I certainly um, uh, agree with him 100%. We should be so thankful to have somebody like Donald Trump 
and the people he surrounded himself with. Um, uh, ben Carson is um, on his staff, I think. Um, and, you know, when they're talking about people who are, who are black and how pushed under they are and all those sorts of things, well, Ben Carson is a, a prime example because his mother was a single mum, um, illiterate, and she got her children, her two sons, she, t- she told them they had to read so many books every week and give her a, um, a book review every week and it was only when they grew up that they realised that she couldn't, they could, she couldn't even read th- what they'd written. But she saw that books were so important and she encouraged and helped them. And that's how they got out of poverty. So yeah. there's, there's a whole lot of things with this. We need to be praying for our leaders, not putting them down all the time. That's, I just think that's just so terrible. And it's against what the Bible tells us. God says to pray for our leaders. Pray for the leaders and honour the king. Well, it's not a king, it's a president. Uh, Jenny, good thoughts. Uh, your response, Camille? Well, thank you, Jenny, for your comments. I appreciate them. And yes, you're referring to First Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4. We have to pray for kings and all who are in authority, that we may live quiet and peaceable lives. I tell you, I pray for the Prime Minister. I pray for the Governor General. I pray for the Premiers. I'm a Victorian, so I pray for Daniel Andrews. I mean, it's just so important that we do that. And it really makes us like royalty in one sense, because we're rising above the political fray, and we're showing interest and prayerful concern for all parties, and not necessarily just for what we call our side. I think that is a great Christian witness, and I tell you, uh, if you were to approach your parliamentarians and tell them you're praying for them, chances are pretty good, regardless of their own spiritual stance, they would appreciate it. Jenny from New South Wales, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, let me just reflect on how the poll numbers look. Our Facebook poll question today is, do you think there is a direct link between the COVID financial crisis and the Bible view of end times? And as the numbers stand, 63% say yes, there is a direct link. And there's 37% who are saying, no, there's not a direct link. And uh, come back to this for a moment here, Camille, before we move on, because uh, this idea of end times, uh, this idea of fulfilled Bible prophecy and the expectation that there is prophecy still to come, this becomes something of a significant encouragement and foundation even for the strength and courage and boldness that we might have as believers. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, for how listeners are seeing this link? Well, uh, interesting poll numbers, of course, but what I would say is all, all of what we're seeing and all what we currently believe from Scripture should really motivate us to do everything we can to invest in our spiritual growth in life, and to help others to do the same. I get really concerned when I see people so anxious and so frightened and so nervy. I mean, look, by nature, I'm not laid back like many Australians. I'm more of the worry ward. But I've learned to uh, walk in faith, and rather than seeing, seeing the dark side of everything, seeing the hand of God 
at work. And so when you do that, and when you know that God is with you and for you, and that nothing and no one can be against you, it really does fulfill Proverbs 28.1 that says, the righteous are bold as a lion. So not brash, but bold. So yes, I think what we're seeing is the the warm-up, so to speak, of great end-time events. It's not the end end yet. But what I do know is that when things start to be fulfilled, they'll be fulfilled with great rapidity. So the best way to face all this is to be spiritually alert, awake, alive, in shape. And so, yes, we need to be reading the Word. We need to be in church. We need to have a prayer life. We need to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. That's why, of course, I recommend Visions, the Word for Today. That's a good start. Not just the devotional side, but the Soul Food Bible reading program is wonderful. I've been on that since 2009, (laughs) faithfully, all these years. It's that good. So a little plug there for the Word for Today. Friends, whoever's listening out there, let, let me say it again. Invest in your spiritual lives. And then when you see these things coming, rather than putting your head down and worrying yourself into anemia, you can do what it says in the Gospel of Luke. You can look up and lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh. Let's take another call. Fari is on the line in Queensland. Hi, Fari. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Very well. What are your thoughts? I just had a, a question. Um, I've, I started listening, I think, just a little bit before uh, midday. And I guess I may have missed part of the conversation. I know we're talking about a, a whole lot of different things um, in relation to Trump and um, things that are happening. But um, I wanted to find out what you guys had discussed or what it was we were saying. And I know that there are different things at play, like um, Camille was saying um, with, with Trump and his presidency and everything. But in relation to what's happening with Black Lives Matter, um, I guess, I don't know, I, I feel like there's systematic things that have been happening and it's stuff that definitely needs to be addressed. And as much as we can say, um, you know, Trump has been good because he's been standing with the church on this and this and this, but then um, I guess in my mind I'm thinking, so does that mean then that's okay if there's certain parts that we're letting down, like we should just take collateral damage and just say, okay, at least he's standing with us, he wants you know, the church to stand strong, but let's just ignore the fact that this is happening to this part of the population or to this section of, of, of us. Okay, and That's systemic things that need to be addressed, like the uh, base issue that Black Lives Matter was concerned with, of course, George Floyd, and uh, this inequity between races, uh, or different colours in the US. Uh, I think that's what you're saying. But uh, your thoughts yes. here for Fari, Camille? Well, I'll do my best on this rather complicated issue. I think that, let me put it this way, open racism, as we would understand racism, is not very common these days, even in the US. Not very common. It was at one time. But, you know, political correctness and other things being as it is, and just the maturing of the population has not been the case. Now, there's a few things to put into play. Racism or judging or holding people uh, in contempt because of their race obviously is a repulsive thing. It should be 
for Christian people, you can never totally eliminate it from the human heart. That's something that the cross of Jesus Christ does. It's not something that legislation alone would do. We have to be careful that we keep the issues separate of racism versus uh, left-wing political activism in the name of racism, trying to foist an agenda far beyond the issue. I mean, really, George Floyd's death was tragically exploited, I would say, by the far left, and we're seeing that now. And that that's ultimately, as I said, it's a spiritual issue. But racism, can there can be things we can do, education and the like. But look, the, no president of the United States, as powerful as they are, there's still limits to what they can do. For example, they can't send in the National Guard to any place any city, any state, unless they're invited, because there is a respect by the Trump administration for what is called federalism, not encroaching on the powers of the states and of the cities and and other local entities. So there's only so much any president can do on this issue. And it's ultimately, I say again, it's a matter of prayer, because to me, the solution for the culture war and for the decline of the West is revival. And revival can only come through God via his church, if my people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. So I would tend to say as believers, let's take the spiritual viewpoint, and this is something we are empowered, authorized, and even mandated to do, and pray our way and fast our way into a better society through revival fire. Barry, thank you so much for your call and I'll need to put a line under calls we won't be able to take any more. Time has run out. Uh, Camille, great insights and uh, if we were taking away this idea of prayer and obedience, uh, pray and obey, I think you were reiterating some famous words from Yongi Cho, uh, this idea of prayer and action, that these things are not to be minimised as we approach these tough things that are happening in Western societies, whether they be the US or the UK, where we're talking to you from today, or here in Australia, which is uh, in that sense your homeland, uh, being uh, based in Melbourne. Uh, but uh, let me just uh, come back to the Understanding the Times tour. You mentioned that there's likely to be an Understanding the Times event, but it may not be a tour this year because of the COVID-19 restrictions, and uh, there might be a, a time of of, uh, awaiting for that until early next year but for listeners to look out for an online opportunity to participate in an Understanding the Times event coming up in uh, around about August and uh, it'll be stay tuned for more details on that. Uh, Camille I know that uh, you were saying you know you like to be out and about you are traveling for much of your life you've been restricted in that uh, for people who uh, want to connect with you at teachallnations.org.au, tan.org.au. Uh, what will people find on your website, and uh, perhaps even uh, how would they subscribe to your newsletter? Okay, our teaching letter, Issachar, is at the bottom of the home page. Can I just take a moment and mention a way I'm connecting during this crisis, and will continue to do so beyond the crisis, is Teach All Nations has a YouTube channel, Get on the YouTube channel, and every week I have a 20-minute sermon called Global Pulpit. 
and I'm in a series right now, Beyond COVID-19, Is There a Word from the Lord? And I'm now on week six of Is There a Word from the Lord? And let me tell you, there's plenty of words from the Lord. So get onto the Teach All Nations YouTube channel or to the Teach All Nations website at tan.org.au, and we can be of service to you. And, of course, you can hear Dr. Camille each day on 2020 on our Faith and the Future segment, which actually will be coming up in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes or so from now. Hey, Camille, thank you so much for staying up late. I hope you sleep well as you get to bed uh, early morning in the UK. Appreciate you taking that time and uh, making that sacrifice uh, to be able to speak to Australian listeners today. Camille, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Neil, and God bless Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.